Amen. I feel like we should probably sing that again. It's so true. Um, we ought to be conforming to what God has us to do, how he wants us to be, how he wants us to live. But, you know, we often want to put ourselves before that. We, we want to conform him to us, but that is a sermon off for another day. Uh, so I won't go on that tangent. Uh, good morning again to each and every one of you. We're going to be in the book of Acts. We're studying through the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 6 this morning, starting in verse 8. So if you would uh, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 6. Um, to begin, I want you to think about this. Who, who did you want to be like when you were a kid growing up? As we were growing up, I think all of us had some people that we looked up to. Was there someone in your life that you idolized when you were growing up? For me as a kid, and we're family here, so this stays in the room, right? I'm going to share with you. I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you. For me as a kid, uh, my guy, the guy I looked up to was Mr. T. Uh, don't laugh. I hope you're laughing with me and not at me. When I was growing up, there were very few uh, positive, strong black male figures on TV. And so when I saw Mr. T, he was it. You know, he was that guy. He was larger than life. I watched every episode of The A-Team. Um, and this was further solidified. Now, I'm getting really vulnerable with you here. This was further solidified when I saw him on WrestleMania three as Hulk Hogan's partner. I'm a, I've been a long time wrestling fan, and when I saw that happen, Hulk Hogan was already the best wrestler of all time, and he chose, of all people, to be his partner. He chose Mr. T. So I'm like, that does it. Mr. T's the man. I mean, Hulk Hogan just, you know, he signs off on it. He is the man. He is the one. I mean, aside from the, the Mohawk, I wanted to idolize, I would do everything that he did. Right. Um, I wanted to have muscles like him. I wanted to have gold chains like him. I wanted to wear the camel pants and boots like him. Man, I just I, I couldn't help myself. And, and looking back, it's funny to see the influence that people like this had on uh, me and had on others. So who was your Mr. T? Who is it that you looked up to? Davy Crockett. Nice. That's the second us back. Any, any others out there that, that, that people had to idolize when they were growing up? Where's some figures there? Everybody wants to be quiet. I'm the only one that's going to get vulnerable this morning. That's okay. Put down. Who was it? Hulk Hogan. There we, Hulk Hogan. There we go. Brother there, another wrestling fan. Put in the comments. I would love to know in the comments who it was that you looked up to growing up. So as you think about this and think about the person that influenced you, um, and think about your past hairstyles for those of us who had hair. You know, even we see that come through in the hairstyles and things of that nature because I remember when Vanilla and all the dudes start coming to school with their frosted tips and, and things like that because they, they wanted to be like the, this Vanilla Ice guy. Who were the, the people that in, influenced you by the way that you dressed, right? I remember growing up in the 80s and the hair bands and the, the rock and all that kind of stuff. And people wanted to dress like those people in the bands that they saw. 
Um, this is weird, but if you guys remember MC Hammer, and he, you know, a, a rapper, dancer, singer, and he wore these outrageous pants. They called them diaper pants because the, the crotch part held, was so low, and he was just, people wore this stuff. I mean, people will come to school with their diaper pants on, and I, I hope, good, fortunately, I thought it was ridiculous then. It's as ridiculous as I think it is now, but people looked up. They wanted to be like MC Hammer as they saw him on uh, the television. So it's fun to look back and to see the, the people that we held in high esteem as we grew up. Right, I think it's fairly harmless in that way. Some people can take it a little too far, but I think for most of us, it's just a harmless, hey, I, I like what they're doing and I kind of want to be like that. But regardless of who your model was as a child, ultimately, we should be seeking to be like Christ. In the 90s, there was commercials around. This is, I'm sure, popular here. I didn't grow up in Chicago, but I'm sure it was good. I saw them in St. Louis. The commercials of Be Like Mike. I want to be like Mike. Remember those, right? So encouraging us to do all the things that the Michael Jordan was doing on the field and uh, hopefully not too much off the field, but he was somebody that people looked up and idolized. But the Bible tells us, that Christ is our example. The Bible tells us that we should be like Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul talks about pursuing Christ and becoming more like him in Philippians 3 and 10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by all means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus was made me his own. Brothers, do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul here has given us a great example of what, I mean, he, Paul says it himself in, in, in other letters, like, hey, I got room to boast, man. I, if, if you want to talk about boasting and talk about who's got it right and who did the right things, it's me. But no, it's not me. It's Christ. And, and, and he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In our text this morning, we will get a view, an example of someone who seriously took this to heart in becoming like Christ, who uh, was he gave his entire life to be like the one, the only one that matters in this life. And as we go through this text, I want you to draw your attention to how he emulated Christ throughout the way. So look with me in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Acts 6, verse 8. Here God, God's word reads, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and those of the Shalatia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So as we look here, already in our text, we see uh, 
the impressive resume that Stephen has. If you remember from last week, we talked about um, these men that, that, that were called to, to serve. Uh, Stephen was one of those. And come, and we, we get this impressive resume um, of Stephen that we see already at the forefront. These unbelieving Jews were no match for his wisdom or the spirit that empowered him to speak. Please remember that the same spirit that empowered Stephen I'm going to harp on this. I want you guys to get this. Every week that we come, the same spirit that empowers Stephen is the same spirit that is still at work today. The same Holy Spirit that empowers us today if we don't quench the spirit. He is still at work in us. The spirit empowered Stephen to do the ministry. And much like Jesus, who was also full of the spirit, Luke 4 and 1 says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Jesus was full of wisdom. Luke, six, or Luke 2 and 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and his stature in the favor of God and man. And, but in fact, if we dive even deeper, we see that Jesus himself is wisdom. Colossians 2 and 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. My question to you today is, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you being empowered by the Spirit or are you trying to do it on your own? Are you trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? Do you try to fix your own problem before you take it to the one and the only one who can see you through that problem? Are you filled with jealousy? Are you filled with lust? Are you filled with grudges? Are you filled with anger? Because you are controlled by whatever you're filled with. If you're filled with God's power and wisdom, then you would live a life like Stephen did and others that, that follow Christ. But if you're filled with all this other stuff, imagine what happens. If you're filled with anger, if you're filled with jealousy, if you're filled with lust, that's what drives you and that's what controls you because that's what you're filled with. Like Jesus, Stephen is falsely accused when he is simply sharing the gospel. He's simply recounting, and they know what happened. They know what's going on. They know where Stephen is coming from. But he is just simply sharing the gospel. And like Jesus, Stephen also preaches on the Old Testament. And this is why it's so important. This is why, again, we, we come back to reading through the Scripture together in a year. Um, this is not just a checkbox or uh, something that's arduous to do. This is so that we know who God is. You want to hear God speak, you open up his text. You read his word and have him speak to you through his word. This is how God speaks. Brothers and sisters, this highlights the importance of reading through the scripture every year so that we know what we're standing on. We understand who God is and, and what he's told us to do and how he's asked us to live. So Stephen is accused of blasphemous words against Moses and God, and he says, really, bro? I, I, that's not in the ESV. That's the that's the Vaughn Sanders edition. That, that might it might look different in, in your version. But he goes on to say, well, "Well, let me school you 
on this. You remember what the text says. And he gives a biblical history to the religious leaders. Now, they, they knew it mentally. They had this knowledge of what was going on. But he's, he goes on to uh, explain to them and show them how they're actually the ones that are defiling God's people. They're actually the ones that are defiling God's temple. They wanted to be better and, and, and holier, and they, they, they followed this, this rule line, but their hearts, their hearts were damaged and deceitful. And Stephen is trying to show this to them. He draws parallels with how Israel, they, they repeatedly rejected the Lord's anointed. He makes it clear that even though they call themselves religious leaders, they didn't understand scripture. They, they tried to act the part, but they weren't being the part. That, that, remind, that might hit a little too close to home, where, where we want to act like we are something. But again, it's, it's about what you're filled with that comes out. And this is what's important to us. We just can't act the part. We need to be the part. People often get bit out of shape when you call out false teachers. And admittedly, there's good and bad ways to do this. But there are, there are a lot of people with the purpose of, of hurting instead of loving. That They just want to make their whole thing about calling somebody else out and, and about how they're wrong and how they're right. But this is not the, the biblical example that we have here. Like Stephen, um, uh, he goes through and explains exactly what Scripture says and what, what God has done previously with his people. And, and he gives an example, just like Jesus, of how to uh, call for correction. He wants to show the religious leaders the, the way, like, hey, you guys are doing all this stuff, but let me take you back. Let me take you back to the Old Testament where we were given all these things and how God spoke to us and how he cared for the Israelites. John 5 and 39 says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is was one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how you will believe my words. This is Jesus speaking. Tell him, hey, you got this all twisted. If you didn't believe the ones who came before me, how can you say you, you believe in me? This reminds me of the, the rich man and, and Lazarus. And remember that? story where the, the, the rich man and, 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 and uh, Lazarus is, is, is sick and um, he's got boils and all this other kind of stuff going on with him and he's eating the, the scraps, you know, and the rich man goes to hell and, and then he sees the torment that hell is. He's like, oh man, this is, this is really bad. This is, this is going to happen for eternity. Like, hey, hey, Lazarus, go, go tell my family, go tell my friends about what's happening here. Tell them I sent you and 
how bad everything is. And well, if they didn't believe you, they, they had Moses. They, they had the, the Old Testament scriptures that would try to tell you and them while they were living and they didn't want to listen. How, why do you think they're going to listen now? They won't. We have to stand on this to know. I want you to read Stephen's speech in um, chapter 7. I'm not going to hold you here and go through the entire chapter, but it's so important for us to see how Stephen walks through the biblical history and what's happening and, and taking place. And he has a command of the scripture and, and, and what it is, what it means, and how it's profitable for those people that he's speaking to. So he's not just accusing them and telling them to conform. He's like, well, this is, this is how it started, and this is how it's going. You guys need to understand and get on board. These Jewish leaders were so focused on the law and the temple that they forgot that they were there to serve God and be in relationship with him. He explains how God's presence has always been with his people and had not been confined to a building or a temple. And then Stephen gives us a great reminder that throughout the Old Testament, that God was never confined to a temple. And while the building is a good thing, you've heard this recently, the, 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 the church is not the building. While the building is a good thing, but over the course of time, uh, we've seen that it's turned into something that was never meant to be. We see these, these huge, ornate um, places of worship in the midst of, of cities or towns that are impoverished. What, what kind of example is that for our testimony of who Christ is, that we would put these big buildings but not really serve the people in that community, that these people would be hurting and, and just trying to get by, but while we need to maintain these ornate things in these, these huge buildings that we have. Acts 7 um, and 48, let's jump over to there. Chapter or chapter seven, verse forty-eight. Where it says, "And yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands," as the prophet says, "Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool." What kind of house would you build for me? Says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? God was with Joseph when he was in Egypt. God was with Moses when he was in the wilderness. God is everywhere at all times. Psalm 139 and 7 is, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I, uh, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. You're everywhere. We should be thinking about this as we're, um, again, we're trying to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps or we're on the precipice of sin we're thinking we're going to get over on our God. We're going to get over on somebody else. But God is everywhere. He sees all things. There is nowhere that we can go outside of his presence. Then Stephen then points out to the crowd, he wants to point them to Christ. And this is tricky for us here today. We want to we want to accept the, the success and we want the pats on the back and we want all these things. But any and all things, it, like I said earlier, is because of God and who he is. And we should be pointing people back to Christ. And this is what Stephen does. Look with me in verse 51. 
He says, you stiff-necked people. Ouch. That's, that'll get your attention. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resisted the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your father not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom have now betrayed and murdered you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Wouldn't you? Somebody called you out, called you out on your mess. Like, hey, uh, I mean, you got to look at, look at what you've done. Not, not just what you've done, but look at what your father and your father's father has done. Look what you were brought up in. So it's no mistake, it's, it's no, uh, no, no reason why we can't understand why you don't continue in this because this is what you're used to. This is what you're accustomed to. Stephen lets them know that they're lawbreakers who have rejected the Savior. The jig is up. They need to be confronted with who they are and what they are doing. But then, like Jesus, Stephen is killed or martyred. They, they were fed up. They had enough. And just like Jesus, who, who also went accused for uh, crimes he didn't commit, they embellished so much and put him in a corner. And just like Stephen, just like Jesus, Stephen follows in that same path. Look with me in verse 54. Again, now, when they had heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Man, I wonder what that looked like. As he's about to be killed, as he's about to be murdered, he looks up to heaven and he sees our Savior. How glorious that must have been. Just, just imagining that as we read through Scripture, we can go through it really fast, but just take a moment and think about that. Think about what's yet to come. We, we live in the world of the, the Amazon Prime next day, immediate satisfaction. But what, we have something that to look forward to. It, it's not going to be immediate. But we, we don't know when it's going to happen, but he will return. And we have this to look forward to where we get to be face to face with our Heavenly Father. Man, this is something... So it says 56 again, and behold, I see the heavens opened up and the son of God, son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at his feet and of, of a young man, at, cast the garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The mob had enough. Like, we don't want to hear any more from you. We're going to silence you. We're going to get rid of you. We're going to take care of you. 
instead of responding in repentance, they respond with outrage. Sounds like us. Sounds like, I mean, we see this every day. Instead of people responding in repentance, we respond with outrage. Oh, you don't accept me for who I am. You, I'm not hurting anybody when I do these things. You should allow me to do it. It's okay. How dare you say I am not going to go to heaven? What do you, what do you mean this, this is God's way? I mean, God, he's just, he, he will be okay with anything that I want to as long as I'm happy. Instead of responding in repentance, they, we, respond with outrage. Stephen's Lord and Savior was ready to receive him in glory with a standing ovation. Man. He received a glimpse of heaven before he died and he transitions from earth to heaven. Here we get a picture of Jesus acknowledging Stephen before the Father in heaven, just like Stephen acknowledges Jesus before the men on earth. Man, that would be something that we should hope for, that we, even in our last breath, would stand to acknowledge him who is in heaven before men. As he says in verse 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Through this entire scene, the only opponent that is mentioned by name is Saul. His name should be familiar. This man, Saul, he's standing here at the, the martyr of Stephen. He's like the ringleader of all of this going on. They, they, they stripped him of his clothes and laid them at this man's Saul's feet. Stephen endures this horrible death where he's pelted by stones. We'll come to know this Saul later by the name of Paul. And, and while we see this gruesome image that, that takes place and how he is there, he is complicit with what's taking place. If you, if you just read further in the book and, and see what the, the miraculous things that God does to this man, Saul. It is this man, Saul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament that we have here today. And how he uh, 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 saw Jesus. He had this, what we call the Damascus Road experience. And he was changed and transformed. This is a spoiler for those of you who don't know the story. But if he can do it for Saul, he can do it for you. Saul did some crazy, nasty stuff. But later we get to see what, what God did with him and through him, for him, for us, through this man who had done so horribly, so many horrible things. He was going out hunting Christians. And later he's fishing for them. The only people who understand and have experienced grace of God can extend it to others. And this is, this, this moment is what stuck with Paul. Paul understands the grace that, that he, that was extended to him again uh, as a preview in Acts chapter 22, verse 20. 
It says, when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was shed, this is Paul speaking, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed them. Paul is a fulfillment of Stephen's prayer in his last breath, and he later finds forgiveness through Christ. It's amazing to me that Stephen could be thinking about others as he is giving up his life. In verse 60, falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And for those who came to Christ, Christ was good to forgive them. Look with me in verse 1 of chapter 8. It goes on, it says, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that, that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entered, entering house after house. He dragged off the men and women and committed them to prison. In that moment, Saul just went and he just kept going and going and going. Dragging people, going from house to house and dragging them out. Can you imagine this? Persecuting them for following Jesus. But again, despite all of this, we know how the story continues. Again, Saul, who we know as Paul, goes and he has this miraculous encounter with Christ and he is transformed. He's changed from the inside out. Brothers and sisters, there is hope. If there is hope for him, there is hope for you too. That you can have an encounter as well with him. It doesn't matter how much you've done or how far you've gone. There is no sin that is not already covered by the blood of Jesus. In his letter to Timothy, Paul says in First uh, Timothy 1, 15, it says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners who I am the foremost. Again, we, we put the, the apostles on this pedestal and think they're, they're great and fantastic, and they're, they are great men. They were used by God, but they were just regular, regular guys. They were regular folks like me and you. But they were ones who submitted their lives to Christ. They were ones who committed themselves to follow him and be like him. As opposed to the religious leaders, the religious leaders were other men and they, 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 they wanted other people to look up to them. They were our Michael Jordans. They were our Mr. T's. They were our Johnny Crockett's. But ultimately, the focus and the attention had to be on Jesus. He is the one and only one that we should look up to to idolize. So as we go here today and in closing, I want to implore you that um, you have not done too much. 
you have not gone too far. You have not done anything that the blood of Jesus does not account for. And this free gift, this, this free gift of eternal life with him, this, this gift of salvation, this, this salvation is, is, is being saved from the wrath of God. It's being saved from the eternal damnation. This life isn't all that we have. We have eternity to look forward to. So we need to make a choice. Who is it that we will serve? You can look up to people here on earth, but they don't offer salvation. You can emulate them and have maybe some success, whatever success might look like to you, but ultimately, we want to be in our, our, our Father's kingdom. We want to be heirs. That's, to me, what success looks like. The God of the universe uh, wants to adopt you into his family. And the scripture says he's got a house for you. And it's better than any house that you can dream of here on earth. And you can have multiple stories and gold toilets or whatever you want. But it's not going to compare to what we'll have in the kingdom of heaven. So I urge you today, if you've not made that choice to follow Christ, today is the day. Now is the time. You have not done too much that has not been covered by the blood of Jesus. He welcomes you with open arms. I would love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like for you in your life. You're not here alone. He's gathered us here together as brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can walk together with one another so that when you have a question, when you fall, when you stumble, when you're confused, that we've got brothers and sisters that are there that can be praying for you, be praying with you, uh, work uh, and read scripture with you and help you to understand what thus saith the Lord. When you accept Christ, all of a sudden your life changes. It doesn't change and things are perfect. No, things are not perfect as exemplified by Stephen here today. But even in the midst of struggle, we can look up to heaven and see Christ standing there waiting to welcome us home. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for uh, this reminder for us of mostly of how good that we have it here today. Most of us will not face the um, tumultuous things that we see in the early church in this country. And so, Father, help us to live boldly despite our comfortability. Help us to stretch ourselves and uh, make your name be known and, and to follow you regardless of the cost to submit our lives completely to you because we're looking forward to being with you for forever and eternity. Father, thank you for sending your son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have life that is everlasting. Father, we thank you for that gracious gift. Help us to live according to that gift and be so excited about what you've done for us and what you've done for your people that we just simply can't contain it, that we simply can't not tell people about you. Father, I thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.